Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is Rick DeBrule. And if you've followed automotive sports at all, you're going to know exactly who this is. Rick spent, what was it, Rick? Close to three decades in the in the broadcasting fields and uh, over 20 years working for ESPN. Um, you've been yeah, on the mic a little. I've been really lucky. I, I've, I've joked that, uh, you know, I always often ask people what their hobby is. I get paid to do my hobby. I spend- <laughs> About the last 30 years or so, covering auto racing and car collector auctions for networks like ESPN and ABC and NBC. I currently do what are called the Barrett-Jackson collector car auctions on a TV network called Motor Trend. And then I got to work in local TV news for more than three decades. So it's been a blast. I got to tell you, it's been more fun than one person should be allowed to have. Well, I even saw a little picture on your Facebook of you in front of the Lake Placid Olympics sign. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that was just the sign. It wasn't the real Lake Placid Olympics. <laughs> well, it wasn't Lake Placid, but it was the sign, and it was 1980. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've been really fortunate over the years to, you know, I, I've had the great fortune of, you know, traveling a lot, you know, to, to Europe, to Asia, covering news stories, covering races in Europe, in Mexico, and Canada. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to do everything from fly a fighter jet to crawl down like Indiana Jones through these Karshner caverns that were discovered in Arizona. So it's been a wonderful career, a lot of fun. Wow. I love finding something that I'm passionate about and figuring out a way to make a living at that. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a great game if I can do that. And Rick, that's what you've been doing. And more recently, you've been bringing all of this experience together to assist people with communication, helping people to find their voice, tell their story, organizations, individuals. And and in fact, you've just launched your new book, which is called Communicating at the Right Speed. Yeah, it kind of ties in my racing world together with my communication world. You know, over all those years that I was doing television work, and then I was also a chief communication officer for an organization for a decade, you know, I just learned over time that, that you know, one of the greatest impediments to making progress is communication. And, and it's true whether it's on a personal level. I mean, we all have communication issues with our own, in our own families, and that's a whole other dynamic. Yes. But getting things done in a workplace, you know, when you have all the dynamics of of various people who like or don't like each other or who some work at one speed, some work at another speed. And, and then you throw in technology. And I mean, we could do amazing things with communication and technology these days. But our problem is we've reached this point where, where everything seems like it has to be done at a rush. And don't get me wrong. I'm a big deadline guy. I believe every now and then you need to pay attention to what the deadlines are and, and move as fast as possible. But I think these days, because we have so much technology that can move things so quickly, we want to do everything fast. And every now and then you need to take a step back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I really need to do this quickly or should I slow it down just a little bit? Because the problem is if we treat everything the same, 
Mm-hmm. Then we, we have too many things we do too quickly. And then the things that really need to move fast that you really need to pay attention to, guess what? Sometimes those deadlines blow right by us because we're focusing on the wrong things. So the right speed, that's what caught my attention about your book, Rick. The right speed. We we tend to rush, you know, just as you shared that. I was thinking of a few projects I'm working on. Yeah, we, we all have a few projects and we think, am I doing that right or wrong? Yeah. And the deadlines, you mentioned deadlines. Most of my deadlines are self-imposed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and too often, um, and, and this is a perfect example of a company. You know, the CEO says, in fact, here's, here's a, a company I've, I've been doing some work with. CEO says that, um, that there's a proposal sitting out there and we need to get it reworked. So the creative marketing director builds a whole new template. The the chief financial officer starts putting putting all these numbers. They literally spend days doing it, Mm -hmm. only to discover that the CEO really just wanted a minor tweak with a couple of numbers. Mm -hmm. And everybody dove in and ran 100 miles an hour as if they were reinventing the wheel when all they really need to do is say, "Well, well, once again, explain to me what it is exactly you want so I don't move too quickly in the wrong direction. Right. Communication. As a psychologist, Rick, I've found that there are so many potential barriers to effective communication. It's amazing that we can communicate at all. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, my wife is a doctor of behavioral health. She does counseling in a hospital setting for cancer patients. And so often what she finds is, is, you know, the, the ability for Doctors communicate with patients, patients communicate with doctors, but then what she finds is the setting in the hospital room with the various family members having to communicate with the patient and the patient communicate with them. You know, as she points out, oftentimes, especially at end of life, you know, the, the, the patient may be done and realize, you know what, this has been a great life and now the pain is too great or whatever. And the family doesn't want to let go but they lack that communication to be able to make that connection. And, and once again, that's on a personal level, which is such an intense situation, which you've probably dealt with in the past, but well, you, you look at what goes on in a hospital and, and there is no place that great communication is probably more important than when it comes to saving lives and dealing with those situations. Yes. So many contexts in which that can apply. You know, Rick, I had a conversation not too long ago with someone who was in the final quarter, they were on their last lap, older, lived a good life, ready to exit, really. And she said something to me, I I just wanna run this by you and see what your thoughts are about it. She said, don't be too quick to believe everything you think. Very true. (laughs) And it struck me that you might have some opinions about this because Uh, when we jump to action, like you're describing, either with the family or in the company, from what the CEO said, we're jumping to action based on our own thoughts about what was triggered by the initial communication. And maybe it wasn't a, a full or a complete communication, or we didn't pause or take the time to, to, to question our own thoughts about this until we're sure that we're clear about what was intended in the first place. So here's an example. A friend of mine was uh, was in the Army, 
and he was on a military base. And one day he noticed that they had a golf course in the military base. And one day he noticed next to this one road, there was suddenly this huge berm that had been built around the outside. And, and that year he just happened to be at an event and he happened to run into the guy who was in charge of the golf course as part of maintenance. And he said, you know, out of curiosity, what's the story in that massive berm? And the, the guy who managed the golf course said, oh, well, the, uh, the base commander was playing golf. And uh, he mentioned that his golf balls kept going in the street. Well, the base commander didn't say build a big berm to stop my golf. How much tax money was spent to build the big berm? And, and ultimately, the, 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 the base commander was like, no, that wasn't what I was trying to achieve. I just happened to mention it. And, and you know, it's so often when somebody, especially in a position of power, you know, a CEO, supervisor, a manager casually says, oh, it'd be interesting if we did that. And suddenly everybody's moving at 100 miles an hour when, in fact, we need to go, whoa, 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 what's the right speed on this project? Is this something, is this a long-term thing? Is this something he wants us to explore? Or is this something he wants implemented tomorrow? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those answers. You just need to ask the questions to get the answers. The speed of the communication that's in the title of your book, and that's that's part of what caught my attention, obviously. And I'm thinking about your history, Rick, as you're out there, you're watching cars going fast. So There's times I, when it's appropriate to slow down. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a part of the Indy 500 broadcast team for ABC, ESPN for almost a decade. Mm. You know, cars there move at more than 225 miles an hour. Things are happening in a split second. And it's not just winning or losing the race. You know, a, a driver's life is dependent upon those decisions. You know, and as I always point out, that is when, you know, you do have to move quickly. Strategies have to move quickly. But, you know, I, I, I have a, a presentation I give about this. And I talk about um, the, the 2016 Indy 500, and the fact that this guy, Alexander Rossi, won as a rookie because of the decisions that were made, you know, as they moved at 225 miles an hour. But what was critical about it, and in talking with the team owner, a guy named Brian Herta, who's a wonderful, wonderful team owner, former driver, you know, he talks about how the critical thing isn't the decisions that were made during the race. It was the culture of communication he had built before the race. You can't start at that morning of the race. You can't start at that afternoon, you know, that, that week or that month. When you have it built into an organization, then when the chips are down and there's a crisis or a problem, that's when you can begin to move quickly. And that's the problem that, that so many organizations have. They don't have a great communication culture. And then when there is a problem, then everybody's scrambling to figure out, well, who do I talk to about it? How do I, well, I'm not really good at talking to Bob anyway, or whatever it may be, or how do we handle crisis communication in this situation? So if you don't have some of that culture that those communication foundational things built into your organization, you know, when you got a problem, you're in trouble. The culture is then what drives the behavior in the moment. Absolutely. And it's hard to switch gears if you're already having so, a hard time with that. As part of my, my local TV news world, I worked for the NBC affiliate in Phoenix um, for 31 years. Wonderful place. Great job. They treated me really well. Um, the last eight or nine years there, I ran a team called Call 12 for Action, which was a, a consumer advocacy group. I had 30 volunteers who worked with me solving consumer problems. 
And you know, you would have a problem with one particular company and you'd call us up and you'd say, they didn't deliver the product or the product was defective and now the company won't deal with me or the furniture broke or whatever it may be. And then we would contact the company. And so often it was simply just a breakdown in communication between the way the yeah. company was working and the way the consumer wanted. The company wasn't answering on time. The consumer got frustrated. I mean, you think about it. If you have a business and your customer has to call a TV station to solve the problem, you got a bigger, right off the bat, you're dealing with a communication issue. Why are they so frustrated? Right. And don't get me wrong. We, we often found out that, that the customer was just as much of a problem as the business was. So it can go either way. But the vast majority of the time, it simply came down to expectations, customers' expectations not being met, either because the company wasn't listening or because the customer hadn't laid down the expectations properly so the company could meet them at the same time. Right. All of which comes back to that underlying culture that you're talking about with, with communication at the right speed. Rick, I know that you've got some practical ideas about how we implement this, what what we do with it. As we come back from this first break, I'd love to dive into some of what you've learned about the, the practical application. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great. Folks, Rick DeBruel today at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your positivity to a whole new level? I've been enjoying these conversations with my guests at Live On Purpose Radio. My own story about becoming more positive is something that I've shared in my book, Pathological Positivity. And right now I'm giving the book away. You just pay for the shipping. Go to drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, and click on the big orange button right there that will get you a free copy of my book. You pay the shipping, I'll pay for the book. Sound like a good deal? Power up your positivity and get ready to see phenomenal changes in your happiness, your relationships, your business, every aspect of life. Enjoy this free gift from me. DrPaulJenkins.com. And we're back. Rick DeBrule joining me today at Live On Purpose Radio. Rick, as we talk about communicating at the right speed, there are times when we have to move fast, as you pointed out. There are times when it's really good to push the pause button. And, and maybe question your own understanding of what's been communicated long enough to make sure that it's clear. Uh, and it, it occurred to me also, there's, there's always at least two parties involved in a communication. Someone sending the message, someone receiving the message. And we switch off from time to time. Yeah, people always think communication is a thing. You know, it's, a, it's an email, it's a phone call, it's a text message. Communication is not a thing. Communication mm. is a process. And it's somebody sending a message, somebody receiving a message, somebody interpreting the message, somebody responding. It's the body language of one or both. It's, it's the contextualization. It's, it's all the, the baggage that those people bring into the conversation. So it, communication, I always say, is not a thing. It's a process. And it's a never-ending process that is constantly being tweaked and changed. Beautiful. 
And because of that, it, it gets very complex. Now, complex doesn't mean impossible because there are some very clear things that we could do to improve our communication. And that's where I'm hoping that you can take us in this second half, Rick. What, what do we start with to, to hone in on this idea of communicating at the right speed? Well, first off, it's very simple, number one. Just ask questions. You know, there's a thing that's referred to as active listening. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've done a lot of research in the communication world, and oftentimes you've discovered that when communication breaks down, it's generally a result of the sender, the person speaking, the person writing, which means if you're the receiver, you're the listener, you're the reader, you actually need to say, I'm, I'm going to guess I'm not getting all the information. So I need to actively listen and ask questions. So, you know, you said go jump off a cliff. Did you mean that figuratively or literally, you know? Did, well, how, do you, how do you ask those questions? Because you have to assume that the information isn't coming in. And don't get me wrong, you don't have to be obnoxious about it. Well, what did you really mean? You just say, okay, well, I heard you say this. Is that what you meant? What's the time frame? You know, it's the who, what, when, where, why, and how. When do you want me to do it? How do you want me to do it? Why do you want me to do it? What do you want me to do? Where? When? If you, if you can nail that, I always tell people, if you have an important conversation, after you're done, go through those six questions. When you're done with those six questions, if there's any gray area, then touch base again and say, you know what? I, the one thing I was confused about was the when. Did you want it today? Do you want it tomorrow? Whatever the next day. I, I, as a TV reporter, I made my living off of those six questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And if you ask those questions, you'd be amazed how far you can go in a conversation. I love the way you introduced that by saying, assume that you don't have all of the information. And, and, and rarely do we have all the information. Rarely. And people start at different levels in their conversation. You know, they forget that, oh, Bob wasn't a part of that meeting, so he didn't hear about this. But, and, and, and these days when you have remote workers, it's even more critical. You know, if somebody isn't in the office place, I was in an office setting once where we had an immediate crisis. We got all five or six people of us in this little group together and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Great. We moved on. We forgot that one person was working remotely that day. And sure enough, caused a problem as a result of not having heard that stand-up group message. And you would think it would be such an easy thing for us to remember that, oh yeah, that person wasn't there that day. Mm -hmm. We just barreled on thinking, okay, we've resolved that problem. And I see myself doing this. I, I hear something and I think, okay, got it. But after this conversation today, Rick, I'm going to practice pausing a little bit and say, well, do I really have it? Run through the six questions. Who, what, why, where, when, how? Did I get them? I think you're close. And, but to the point here is don't assume that you've got all the knowledge. It's like this, this elder. Assume you don't. Right. Assume that you don't. Exactly. It's like this, this neighbor told me, don't be too quick to believe everything you think. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Slow it down. This is the time when it's appropriate to slow it down. And, and then organizationally, you know, the, the, You'd be surprised how research shows regularly that people within an organization, a company, whatever it may be, don't understand the strategy of what's going on. 
they, they, you know, the, uh, the, the C-suite comes up with a strategy. It then gets passed. You know what the whisper line is or the telephone game? You ever heard the telephone mm -hmm. the old party you know, the game? says something, you got 25 people in the line. By the time it gets to the other end, it's already been misinterpreted. Well, you think about it. That's the, that's the way communication works in most organizations. The CEO says something, it's communicated to the C-suite, then it goes to the senior leaders, then it goes to the supervisors, then it goes to the managers and the frontline people. And once again, you know, the, the C-suite said they wanted circles and the, the, the frontline people are drawing squares because it went through all these filters before it got there. And the guy in the middle went, well, I know the CEO really wants this, but we should tweak it this way and this and that. And before you know it, it's been changed before it comes out the other end. So communicate the strategy. It's so critical. And, and, and this is what I've learned in racing, you know, where, where, where strategies have to change, right? Every company has to be able to change its strategy, to change, to, to compete. And, and, you know, in the Indy 500, you know, every team starts the same way. They want to win the race by going as fast as they can, having the shortest pit stops. They do it all the same way. But there's always something that gets in the way. And the secret is, how do you then change your strategy? And when you change your strategy, how do you communicate that to everybody involved? So we're all on the same page. If our goal is to do faster pit stops, we need to come up with a new thing. If our goal is to do fewer pit stops or save fuel, we come up with a new strategy. If our Whatever the strategy may be, just make sure everybody understands it and buys into it. Not an easy task. No, no. And, and I will tell you, and this is what I always start my presentations with when I'm doing, you know, company presentations. Hmm. Communication's hard. It, you know, hardcore math is easier because when you plug the numbers in, at the very end, you get, a, you, you get a solution. Communication, you can plug in all the variables and end up with a different result every time. So you just have to understand communication by its very nature is so hard. I mean, once again, as a, you know, in, in your world, you thoroughly understand that because you deal with people, everybody's so different, and it's how they react to those communications. I like the way this strategy ties right back into some of the practical questions that you mentioned earlier. Like, why? Yeah. Why are we doing this? If people understand the why, the how becomes a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. And, and the and, what becomes more clear. And, 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 when I do presentations, the very last thought I leave people with every single time is this. You're only as good as your last communication. I used to say last email, but these days there's IMs and Slack and Teams and all these things, but it's whatever your last communication is. And, and, and I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I, I, how many people have an email or a message or a memo from their boss from five years ago or 10 years ago? We don't have those anymore. It may have been the greatest message in the world. Now, I actually am the only guy who has that. I have a memo from my boss from 30 years ago. I was doing a live shot. I was a young reporter. I was down at, a, at the police station. I had done the same story three times that day on three separate newscasts. It came time to do it one last time. And I was supposed to simply say that it, you know we still have no word on the fate of this particular detective because of a situation. And I looked in the camera. And I couldn't remember this guy's name for my life. Oh. I stared at the camera. You know, it, it might seem like hours, but I'm sure even five or 10 seconds of looking at a reporter staring at a camera seems so uncomfortable. Even the reporter who was standing That's next awkward. to me said, I really wanted to tell you. Finally, I remembered and moved on. I got back to the TV station that night and on my desk was a, was a memo from my boss. And it said three things. Well, first I had one sentence and it said, there we've seen it. 
your worst moment on television, it will get better from here. And those three things were critical. It said the boss was watching, which was critical. It said I screwed up, which was important to clear the air on. And it left me optimistic thinking, you know what? It's gonna get better from here. Don't, don't panic, it'll get better from here. Now, it was such a perfect memo. I literally saved it. I have it in my workplace scrapbook. Don't ask me why. But, uh, but most people don't say that. But if, if you, if, what was your last communication? Was it terse? Was it short? Was it curt? Was it, was it uplifting? Was it good information? Most people have, so there, there's a research project that was done that say, says this particular group of what they called knowledge workers spend three and a half hours every week waiting for somebody to respond to them. Three and a half hours waiting, three and a half hours of lost productivity wow. time. That's almost 10% of a person's 40 hour work week. Multiply that out times the number of people in an organization. You start to look at how, many, how much money is lost every year only because you know, maybe you just need to send an email out that says, or a, a, an IM, a text message that says, hey, I, I don't have the answer for you yet. I'm still trying to gather that information. Or I'm waiting to talk to Bob and Bob will give us the information. Or you know what? It, it, it's not looking positive, but I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Then everybody goes, okay, well, at least I know where we are in the thing. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I fully understand. We all have those office dynamics. No one likes Susie. No one likes Harry. Bob's a real pain in the rear. This guy is, we all have those office dynamics. But if you're the guy that communicates, if you're the person who gets past everything by at least having a, a, you know, some kind of communication, then right off the bat, you're in control of the situation rather than having the situation roll over you. And that control is important because let's say for a minute that your last communication, you're not particularly proud of. <laughs> Gee, I've never had that happen. <laughs> but the good news is you're not done yet. You're only as good as your last one or your next one. That's what's most important. What is your yes. next? You know, if, if you haven't communicated with somebody in a week, a month, a year, whatever, then you know what? Get back on the horse. Send off the email that says, hey, you know what? I just... I don't have a good answer for you, but I'll get back shortly. And suddenly you're in control again. I can't tell you how, I always feel good when I have something and I haven't sent to somebody and I get it off my chest and I'm like, okay, <clears throat> I put the, I, and, and maybe all I'm doing is pushing the pause button again, but at least I'm in control. Rick, that is so profound and so powerful. I can think of 17 psychological reasons why this is <laughs> sound doctrine you're sharing with us here today. Um, great stuff. I want to make sure that our listeners have a chance to connect to you, to your book. We mentioned that the book is communicating at the right speed, and that's available for people to purchase. Yep, just go to Amazon or you can just go to my website, rickdebrule.com. Either way, you can find it. Now, let's spell De Brule for everybody <laughs> to make sure that we can get there. Rick? It's the standard De Brule spelling. Yeah. And, and last name is D as in dog, E, B as in boy, R, U, H, L. So Rick, R-I-C-K, De Brule, D-E-B-R-U-H-L dot com. And that's where they can connect to uh, the other things that you're doing. You're available for speaking and for... Uh, enlightening people's lives the way you have for us here today at Live On Purpose Radio. 
It's all about communicating and everybody's life is so much easier when we communicate just a little bit better. Well, Rick, thank you so much for your contributions here today. Folks, you've heard it from the master of communication who still messes it up occasionally, <laughs> Mr. Rick DeBrule. Rick, thank you for joining us at Live On Purpose Radio today. Thanks a lot, I appreciate it. It's time everyone to go live on purpose. Mm-hmm.